Good evening and welcome to People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Cock, and every Sunday at this time we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. My guest in tonight's program is Professor Marissa Rolnick, who is Professor Emeritus of Science Education at Wits University, but also lectures at other universities and is also a singer of note. I met you many years ago. Welcome, Marissa. Hi, and thanks very much. Very nice to be here. It's very nice to have you on the program. I met you probably in Swaziland originally. And to do with the mass choir events as well. Yes. Uh, And that must be how many years ago now? Well, I left Swaziland in 1990, so it was in the 80s. Yeah, so it's a a good many years ago. Yes. But you've always been a singer in choirs. You, You seem to have enjoyed your choral music career. Well, I started singing when I got to Swaziland. Before that, actually, I was playing the flute and uh, recorder and uh, swimming. (laughs) (laughs) But has science always been your thing? Well, I've always been accused of being interested in the three S's, which is science, singing, and swimming. (laughs) So there have been various of those balanced. The the science is your career. The the singing is your your sole hobby. And the swimming is to keep you fit. That's right. I used to swim for the province when I was a child, so I've carried it on into masters as well. And where was that? Where did you grow up? In Johannesburg. Oh, you're a Joburg girl. Yeah. yeah. I went to Rodine School. Yeah. And and you spent how long were you away in Swaziland? Um, I you was. So you came back in 1990. Yeah, I first went to England for a year to do my master's degree, and then when I came back, I got a job in Swaziland which was in 1975. Yeah. Oh, so you were in Swaziland quite some time. Mm. Yeah. 15 years, that's quite a long Mm. time. Well, your first choice is by Beethoven. So why don't we listen to this? Uh, It's uh, from the Symphony No. 3, the first movement from the Symphony No. 3, and then you can tell us why you chose it. Okay. Sir Roger Norrington conducting an energetic first movement from the Symphony No. 3 in E-flat major by Beethoven. That was with the Radio Symphony Orchestra of Stuttgart, the choice of Professor Marissa Rolnick. Beethoven, obviously important to you. I love Beethoven, um, but this one I chose because uh, when I was very young, my parents got some LPs with Leonard Bernstein interpreting Beethoven's Eroica Symphony. You can still get a little bit of it on YouTube. And he talks about how Beethoven uses the triad to to do some very a very simple thing like a triad to do some very fancy things with his music, and so it was one of my early introductions, together with my grandfather, who had a collection of about a thousand seventy eight records. Wow! And where do the Rolnicks come from originally? Well, that grandfather was a Marcus, but oh, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, they come from Lithuania, actually. Yes. Uh, a relative of mine has traced the family tree back to a uh, part in Lithuania where there were apparently two groups of Rolniks. And th- was that long time ago when they came to South Africa? Well, it was my grandfather came at the age of three, my paternal grandfather. So um, they left, I think, at the time of, you know, the late 19th century. Yeah. Uh, my other grandfather came from Russia at the age, at, at teenage age. Yes. 
Uh, gosh, there's, there's a long tradition of being in South Africa, though, as well. Yes. And did you play music when you were young? Where, did you play an instrument or did you always sing? When I was very, very young, my mother sent me first for a year of piano lessons and then for violin lessons, and she stopped them because I wasn't practicing. But uh, at the age of about six, I was in a children's orchestra. We had a teacher called Ilse von Fluckhartung, who had a house on Louis Boerter, and I used to go there for my lessons. Nice. Uh, but obviously singing has become your thing. Yes. And uh, during the 15 years you spent in Swaziland, you, you sang as probably one of the few white members of, of a choir there. Yes, in fact, it, I was a founder member of Manzini Choir in about 1976-77. Um, and I decided to start singing because although at the time I was playing the flute, um, I realized that there wasn't much scope in Swaziland for instrumental playing. And if you wanted to be involved in music, you needed to sing. So um, I still remember there were about six of us in this room, and they had this, uh, I think it's a sort of Renaissance piece called The Silver Swan. Yes. And they, they started with that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just worked from there. And we had a series of conductors yeah. um, through, the, through our period. Well, here, yeah, this is the Manzini Choir, your next choice. Mm. Uh, my guest tonight is Professor Marissa Rolnick, and this is a piece called Unon Kala. It's sung by the Manzini Choir. That was Unon Kala, a folk song sung by the Manzini Choir. So obviously you moved quite quickly away from the silver swan to more traditional type of music. Well, traditionally, uh, African choirs have three sets of repertoire. They have folk songs, which I've just played there. They have African composed, conducted songs, a lot of which have been now orchestrated. And then they do Western classical music. So when they go for a competition, there's usually a piece selected from African and a piece selected from Western. And they call it the English piece <laughs> and the African piece. <laughs> yeah, and were you, in fact, the one of the few white people singing in that choir, or well, the only one? For a long time, I was the only one, but there were other expatriates who came in and out, and a little later, I'll be playing a piece by one of them who went back to Germany. In fact, I'm surprised there wasn't instrumental music, because very often, amongst expatriates, there's a group of people who get together to play music, so... Oh, but we didn't mix with the people at the, Manzi at the Mbabani Club. Oh, not? No, no, we were down <laughs> in Manzini. Yes. And... Um, the the first time we got an instrumentalist was when Noel Kumalo came to play piano for us. I remember him too, yes. And he was taught by his father. He later went on to do a BMAS at Witz. But uh, he could play quite well even before that. Yes. His dad was a magistrate in Swaziland. And while you were in Swaziland, uh, you got involved, I think, with with the underground of the ANC. Yes, I was recruited by Ivan Pele, who's... Uh, and um, so we, I had a lot of contact with, um, with Ronnie Casserals. We used to keep his car for him, and he used to walk in from Mozambique, and we used to go and pick him up. And uh, so he was at my house a lot. But it was quite funny because the people who were working didn't know the other people. And once I went to a friend's house, and I knocked on the door, and one of the people was there, and I was very surprised. Yeah. You also identified people by their cars. So if they saw this car, they knew it was you. Yeah. But 
he would drive our cars as well, so that would also be quite strange. So, and have you been involved in in politics since then? Um, when I first came back to South Africa, I joined uh, the Science and Technology Group of the ANC and tried to help work out some policies for both science and science education. And I was involved then in the early days, but I haven't actively been involved for, for some time now. And we're going to hear another wonderful folk song, and then I want to hear about science education where we are, because we often hear about problems in science and maths. But this is a folk song called Uguaymani. That was a folk song called Uguaymani, sung by the Manzini Choir and the choice of Professor Marissa Rolnick, who's my guest in People of Note. Science education is your subject, and we often hear about the problems in science and maths in South Africa. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the state of science education. Well, we've come through a, a very long period of difficult times, uh, I think caused mainly by the fact that between 1975 and 1990, there was no normal schooling in the black sector in South Africa. So even now, some of the teachers who are in their 50s grew up in that time and didn't get a proper education. And for my research, one of the most serious problems is subject matter knowledge of teachers. And I study the way science teachers transform subject matter knowledge to make it teachable, mostly in chemistry, but to some extent in physics as well. Earlier I was working in language and science education, which was the subject of my PhD. But where we are now, we're at a situation at least where teaching is now an all-graduate profession. And um, I think, you know, there are signs of improvement. We're helped a lot by the presence of about 4,000 Zimbabwean science teachers in the country. I think maybe even in Gauteng, that figure of 4,000. And we work at the postgraduate level with these teachers to try and sort of improve their insight into teaching and to try and work in a more conceptual way than just learning things off by heart. So actually the, the, the problems in Zimbabwe were provided a windfall for us in terms of uh, qualified teachers. Yes, but the interesting thing is that in Zimbabwe there's still good quality education even now. So there must have been a big pool of good teachers there. I think what started in Zimbabwe was during Ian Smith's time, uh, only 10% of black children were allowed to go to high school. But that meant they were the cream of the cream. So when they went to study in other countries, you know, they made quite an impression with their intellect because obviously they were the top 10%. Um, but the kind of education that those black students got was of equal quality to what the white people got, which wasn't the case here. So we're, we're very lucky. And are those, have you seen a change recently with the, with the change of uh, president in Zimbabwe? Are those teachers still here and are they likely to stay? A lot of them have settled. They've got South African IDs and they don't see that change in president as being very significant at the moment. Yeah. Well, we hope they stay here because yes. we certainly need them here. Mm. Now, your next choice is a South African composer, Todd Machikiza. And f listeners will know perhaps that Todd Machikiza was very involved in King Kong. But this is a piece called Hambagatle. Fare thee well. This is the Gauteng Choristers under Sidwell Mtlongo. 
That was a piece called Hambagatle by Todd Machikiza, the Gauteng choristers singing there under Sidwell Mtlongo. And I notice your next choice is uh, part of the Beethoven Violin Concerto. Yes, um, there's something about the beginning of that concerto that really moves me because it starts with very, three very soft kettle drum beats and then this theme, this really emotional, beautiful theme comes in. And Beethoven only wrote one violin concerto and I think it's just the most incredible piece of music. It's one of your favorites? Yes. That was the first movement of the Violin Concerto in D major by Beethoven. Janine Janssen was playing there with the German Chamber Orchestra of Bremen under Pavo Jervi. The choice of Professor Marissa Rolnick, who's my guest in People of Note. She's the Professor Emeritus of Science Education at Witz. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. It's just about 7 o'clock. We're going to take a short break. And after the break, we'll be back with more. Welcome back to the second hour of People of Note on Classic 1027. I'm Richard Koch, and my guest is Professor Marissa Rolnick, who is Professor Emeritus of Science Education at Witz. But Marissa, earlier on, you told me that you taught at other universities now as well. Yes, well, I formally retired, having reached the age of 65. Um, so I went on to pension, but... Uh, I needed to sort of earn a living still for a bit, so I've been working for a bit at the University of Johannesburg, and now I've got an appointment at the University of Pretoria on the Mamelodi campus. Also in science education? Yes, to establish a research culture on that campus. At Mamelodi campus, they offer access programs. In other words, it's like a foundation or bridging year for students who don't make their minimum entrance requirements into the first year of BSc at Pretoria. And I used to run a program like that at WITS called the College of Science. That's my first job at WITS when I came back from Swaziland. And I wrote a book on access programs uh, because I thought South Africa was expert on access programs, having had to run them at also, and having done research on them as well. So I only got into the education school in 2005. Before that, I was in the Faculty of Science. And is this an issue throughout Africa, or is it particular to South Africa, this issue of bridging programs? It certainly was a big issue in Southern Africa, because the Dutch used to run in Botswana, Lesotho, and Swaziland what they called pre-entry programs for science, because they felt the students coming in were not well qualified enough to start a science degree. And as soon as they got enough people of high enough standard, they stopped the programs. And I've, I predicted that was what would happen at WITS too. And it did happen. It's, there it was a case of demography. And um, so about two or three years after I left for the education school, um, they actually did discontinue. But at Pretoria, they still have one. And, and so I'm very interested in them. And do you get to travel around the world much in, in this connection? Not only in this connection, um, I have research grants from the National Research Foundation and I attend conferences of the various science education research associations such as the National Association for Research in Science Teaching in the USA, ESERA, the European Association. I go, I'm going to Australia in July for two conferences there, one on chemical education, and the, that's an international, and the other Australian conference. 
and I think you've just won an award, which we will hear about after your next choice of music, which is by the Lesotho composer Mohapelua, and it's a piece called Uakai. That was a piece by the Lesotho composer Mohapelua, and it was called Uakai. First of all, tell us a little bit about this piece. It's obviously something you've sung, is it? I would love for one day that there would be a concert just about Mahopelwa's music because he's got the most, it's very classically influenced. Um, but this Uyakai is more, uh, got much more of an African theme in it. Um, but he's got, you know, there's just such a wide range of music that he's written. He studied music at Witz. Uh, and he died in 1984, and he was quite old. So, you know, he lived in the first part of the 20th century. But his music is just... Very interesting. Very beautiful. Yeah, in fact, I inherited uh, a book of his songs in his handwriting, uh, which was given to me by Dr. Yvonne Huskisson. And it's now with Samro. I gave it to mm. Samro for safekeeping there. It was a beautifully written out mm. uh, and bound... Um, and anyway, it's now in the Samro archives. Very interesting book. But you were, I was asked you also about the award that you've just been given. Just tell us about that. Well, that is a, a Distinguished Contribution to Research Award, which is the highest award ordered, uh, offered by the National Association for Research in Science Teaching, which is an international research organization which has been going since the 1960s. And... Um, so it's, I'm only the thir third person from this part of the world. Not, well, the first one was my first supervisor, Peter Hewson, but he went to live in the U.S. in the 1980s. And the second one was actually a Nigerian who lives in Cape Town, who's been also here for 20-odd years. Uh, so you could say I was the first woman, Yes. but the third person from Africa. Well, congratulations. That's a wonderful mm -hmm. award. And does it... Uh, enable you to do something? Does it give you some uh, funds to do something, or is no, it just an award? It's just an award, but it's it's like very prestigious. It's only well, two people usually yeah. per year get it, and funnily enough, the other guy who got it was an Englishman, not an American yeah. as well. Where is the best place for science education in the world? Do you think there are a lot of centres of what I would call excellence? Uh, one of them is in Kiel in Germany, where I hope to visit just before our choir tours Germany. Um, another one was in Leeds in the United Kingdom, but now I'd say York has probably taken over. Oh, so it's not America? Well, there are places in yeah. America as well, but they're different parts of science. Wisconsin, for example, where my my supervisor went is a very good place. Georgia is another place. Um and it just depends which part of science education you're going to. Oregon is another one. So. Your next choice is called African Girl. Let's listen to it and then you can tell us about it. When I was in Swaziland, um, I met up with a whole lot of people, including Noel Kumalo, our pianist, and one of my swimmers, Reggie Mapanga, because I also coached swimming in Swaziland. And um, we made a band. And there was a Jamaican-born, no, Jamaican-origin Englishman who came to Swaziland as an obvious volunteer by the name of Trevor Hall. And we formed this band. It was called uh, Impanzi, which means roots. 
and he was a raster. So we did quite a lot of reggae music, and we also did what we'd call African jazz and some African music as well. And we made an album uh, called Mlaba Laba, and then we also toured Malaysia. So that was the only time in my life I was I could call myself a professional musician. And what were you playing then? I was playing flute and sax. Yeah. And um, officially I left my job to go and do a PhD, but then we went to Malaysia and we were there for six weeks. And As we, a gigging musician. That's right. <laughs> and we played in this restaurant. And um, although I did make some science education contacts while I was there, uh, it was a very, very unique experience oh, in I'm my sure. life. Yeah. And this album was very successful in Swaziland. We made 500 copies. We sold them all. And then we sold the rights to Weir, but after that the band broke up. So we also had a Malaysian saxophone player, which is why we went to Malaysia. Okay. He organized the, the trip. So you had a Malaysian, a Jamaican, Rasta, uh, uh, and then you had a South African saxophonist? No, the sax South African is Noel. He was a okay, pianist. Okay, he was the pianist. And then. And you? And then we had an American, African-American as well. Of course, it was a real international affair. I was the only woman, and I was the only white one. Yeah. So. And he has another piece, also played by the same group, uh, and this is called Expressions. That was Expressions, played by the group called Mlaba Laba, was it? No, Mlaba Laba was the album. The M album. Impanze. Impanze was yeah. the, the group. And I'm playing a flute solo in there, that's why I chose that one. Very good. So, do you still play in a band, or do you... No, no, no. no. Uh, my music now is singing. <laughs> and and very successfully, because uh, we've just had a wonderful concert on, on Good Friday. We sang a piece by Carl Jenkins, The Starbat Mata. Really fantastic concert. If any listeners were there, you will know what a powerful event it was. And the choir sounded great, I must say. We had, we had a big choir for that event, like 100 and. 50 singers, I think, 140, 150 singers. It was singers. really, it was a... It, it was something special. Mm. Yeah, so singing is a, is a very satisfying thing to do, I think. Just give us a little uh, insight into life in Swaziland in the 70s and 80s, because it was really uh, on the front line, really, around South Africa at that time. So there must have been a lot of South African exiles there. Well, Swaziland was very uh, cooperative, may I call it, with the South African government. So if you were ANC in Swaziland, it was almost as bad as being ANC here. Uh, in fact, Ronnie Cashwells once commented that it was worse because it was like a goldfish bowl. It was a very small country. Everybody knows everybody else's business, whereas in South Africa, it's probably easier to lose yourself. Yeah. But um, it the reason I went to Swaziland is... I originally went to England to emigrate because I didn't want to stay here anymore. But when I was in England, I was very, very homesick. So uh, I thought the next best thing would be to take a job in a neighboring country where at least there was some sort of social, uh, socially it was more acceptable, even if they were still very influenced by South Africa and the South African economy. So I took a job at a teacher's training college. And um, it was much easier to mix there. There's a more kind of normal existence, if I can put it that way. And there were expatriates of all sorts, not just uh, there were aid expatriates, 
people funded by the Germans, the Americans, the British, who were there on quite large salaries working in projects. There were also South Africans in business. There was Nati Kirsch who ran the uh, milling, Swazi milling. And so there were little, uh, what you'd call uh, small groups of, of whites who didn't mix a lot and there were people who didn't. There were embassies in Babane. But there were also people going in and out of the country doing underground things. In fact, one of the 19-year-old members of our choir got caught at the border with a combi full of guns. And it was really quite terrible for her mother because she, she didn't know that her daughter was involved in that sort of thing. But in fact, Tokyo Sukhwali was at university in Swaziland. Uh, and uh, around the time when I was teaching at the university yeah. afterwards. So it was quite an interesting place. Well, and perhaps it's appropriate then that your next choice is Brenda Fassi singing Wulindlela. So that was uh, by Brenda Fassi, Wulindlela, one of her really moving hits. And they still play it on a Vodacom ad uh, now. But what happened when we were playing in the band, Peter Tosh came to Swaziland because they wouldn't go to South Africa. So a lot of these people came to Swaziland and we were on the ticket. So, of course, being a reggae band, we were in sync with Peter Tosh and we had two performances. And at the first in performance, Brenda Fussy was also on the bill and we met her on the stage and um, she was quite sort of arrogant to us you know, who are you? Just a Swaziland band. And the next day, they gave us like twice as long and they took her off the bill. So we felt very superior. <laughs> That's wonderful. Actually, I, was, I, I associated you with many things, but reggae band is not one of them, <laughs> I have to say. So I'm very impressed also by it. I would give you double billing uh, in, in a show, which I was doing. That's amazing. Mm. Now, uh, obviously, choral singing is your thing. And... Have you ever sung Elijah? Because I see that's your next choice. I've never actually sung the whole of Elijah because the choirs loved Elijah and they used to take pieces. But there's another story behind this one. Um, when I was doing teacher education in Swaziland, I'd have to travel all over the country to watch students teaching in schools. And there was this one particular school way out in the rural area at the end of a very long dirt road. And you must know that Swaziland also was crazy for choir competitions. So the schools virtually didn't function in the second term because they were practicing for choir competitions. And I got to the school on a Friday at about just after 12, and I, the student hadn't sent me my timetable. I was desperate to see the student because I had to assess him, and I got to the school. I was five minutes late for the lesson. I dashed into the school and I, you have to greet the headmaster first. I said, Mr. Headmaster, please, I know I'm late, but please, can I watch this lesson of the student? I haven't seen him. The headmaster said, I'm afraid our classes are cancelled right now. So he said, so I said, why? So he said, no, the ch there are some children who went to Mbabane for sex education and they're feeding back to the rest of the school. And then I said, well, what happens after that? No, he says, it's lunch. And I said, after lunch, no, then it's choir practice. So I said, I'll make a deal with you. I said, you give me my student for 40 minutes with a class and I'll help the choir. <laughs> and it so happened that the two prescribed songs, one was He Watching Over Israel, and the other one was Longo, which was a song about being in Modabi. And I had them both on tape in my car. 
So you knew them well. And I had the whole, like, 60 kids around my car, because it's a rural school, no electricity, turned the tape up, and the kids listened to the two songs. And then I went to help them with the Mendelssohn piece. And here it comes, he watching over Israel. That was Sir Neville Mariner with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields Orchestra and Chorus singing a movement from Elijah by Mendelssohn, He Watching Over Israel. And I know, actually, whenever my choir sings um, Elijah, it's always very popular because it's very singable music. And I think maybe that's why it appeals to choirs all over the world. It's it's just such singable music. But it's also the story. There's yeah. the sto- there's a whole story. It's a very dramatic story. I'd l- I w- the choir hasn't done I wish the choir would do it again because I love it. I really do love it. But, uh, and you, but you say you've never sung it. I've never sung the, the whole, whole thing, song. Yeah. I've done pieces because yeah. they'd be set for competitions. Yeah. Oh well, you never know. There's a mm. chance coming up in the coming years. But Traditional music, of course, is important. And you I know that you were part of the Mast Choir Festival mm. when we started that yeah. in 1989. In fact, I think one of the choirs came from Swaziland, didn't they? To the, or were you part of a choir up here by then? By 1990, I joined Davidson Choir. Yes. Because we were friends with Davidson Choir, Manzini Choir. We used to stay there and wait for the border to open after the competitions. And um, so... I came, I think, with the Davidson Choir. Yeah, because I remember seeing you very mm. early on in the Mass Choir mm. Festivals, which was 1989 they started, so 1990 you were there. Mm. And we always sang some traditional music. Each choir sang a mm. traditional piece, mm. and then uh, we all sang mm. Western music together, or and some traditional composed, traditional and composed music. But here are two uh, traditional Zulu songs, Mina Nawe and Tuma Mina, these are arranged by Otto Deutsch, but I think let's just listen to them first. We're going to hear two together, and then you can tell us about them. Two traditional Zulu pieces there, arranged by Otto Deutsch. Now, this is not a name that I've come across before, so is this some not a South African choir? Well, Otto Deutsch and quite a few other Germans at one point joined our choir in Swaziland. And they were working in Swaziland, some of them in church capacities and some of them uh, in jobs with aid organizations. And Otto Deutsch was a musician. He he actually composed an African mass in about seven different languages, which was, and we we did, we accompanied them with marimbas. And he also did uh, another African piece, which we performed. But when he went back to Germany, I went to visit another one of the Germans, and um, they showed me the CD that he, he'd gone to work at a church in Saarbrücken because he was a Lutheran minute pastor. And um, he'd formed a choir in Germany, and they put out this whole album of what they called Freedom is Coming, which were African traditional songs which had been adapted to... Um, to, fo- to to uh, freedom songs and it was a completely white choir except I think for one person and I chose Mina Nawe because I like the solo and I chose Tuma Mina because recently when Hugh Masekela died Cyril Ramaphosa took that phrase Tuma Mina as the theme of his speech when he did his inaugural that. address yeah. but, but more important perhaps is the, the next phrase Tuma Mina is the first phrase yeah. Sengia Vuma I 
agree mm. and I will go along with it. Yeah. And perhaps that's, we all need to put our backs to the wheel now and make everything work well. Well, we've heard quite a lot about your singing, but now one of the things that we did in the Mass Choir Festival was excerpts from Ushaka. And I see that that's your next choice. This is composed by Mzidikazi Kumalo. And this is the traditional praise of King Shaka from Ushaka. That was one of the movements from Ushaka Kasenzanga Kona by Mzilikazi Kumalo. The, that was the traditional praise of King Shaka. An amazing epic. Uh, in fact, probably the only epic of its kind, I think, in, in musical terms about certainly about uh, Ushaka in, in South African music, it was a sort of watershed moment. Um, and y you and I have both worked with Professor Mzilikazi Kumalo. Yeah, no, I love his music, first of all. Not just this, but, you know, his earlier music, his style's even very different. There's one called Ngimbelele Panzi Kochani, which is from the 1960s. Beautiful song. But um, I sang in the whole of Ushaka, with the Davidson Choir, there was a kind of mass choir. So I did sing the whole thing. But this particular section is often taken as a competition piece. And it's got some very beautiful counter rhythms and things like that. Yeah. He's an amazing man. Uh, sadly, he's, he's uh, a bit out of it now mm. because his, his brain is not quite mm. what it was. Mm. But uh, he and I were great friends uh, over many, many years, and we did a lot of fantastic musical events together uh, and um, he was he was a sort of he was a watershed moment in South African music both he and Mahopela are two composers where one could do a whole concert just easily. of their music very easily uh, uh, not even just singing say Princess Magogo or, or this but just his composed single songs mm. no he's a, an amazing composer and I hope he's collecting all his royalties from all the works mm. that he did. But while we were off air, you were telling me that you actually started a choir also. Well, it's, uh, it's a choir that has one practice a year. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have this organization called SARMSTI, which is the Southern African Association for Research in Math, Science, and Technology Education. And it's a Southern African organization so we've got all the 10 SADC countries and I was a founder member of that organization and I was also president in one of the years and I've been involved quite I've been to all the conferences since 1993 and um, in 2006 we had a conference in Pretoria and they organized a dinner to be at the Pretoria Country Club and when we got there in the pouring rain we found they'd given them the wrong night for the concert, uh, for the for the dinner, and we were all turned back. And somebody who was thinking on his feet remembered a place where you could eat as much as you like for seventy rand. So we all went to this place, but of course there was no entertainment. So I ran round grabbing people from chairs, and we we started singing a whole lot of songs, and that was the beginning of the Psalmsty Choir. And now the Psalmsty Choir has an official slot in the conference program for a practice. And we have a fixed repertoire and we add songs depending on where we are. Mostly folk songs, but we've got some others that we've composed ourselves. And then we perform at the dinner, at the, at the conference dinner. Yeah, fantastic. 
Well, here come the African jazz pioneers with Hellfire. The famous African jazz pioneers performing Hellfire. The choice of Marissa Rolnick, Professor Marissa Rolnick, who's my guest in People of Note. She's the Professor Emeritus of Science Education at Wits University, but also teaches at other universities mm -hmm. around South Africa. And now it's just about 8 o'clock. You're tuned to Classic 1027. People of Note is the program. I'm Richard Koch, and as you heard, my guest is Marissa Rolnick. After the break, we're going to hear the famous plea from Africa by John Knox Bokwe, and we'll be back just after this. That was Sibongle Kumalo singing the famous plea from Africa by John Knox Bokwe, and that was the Chamber Orchestra of South Africa under Ariane Tin accompanying her. And if you were at the Mass Choir Festival, uh, Marissa, in 1990, mm. you probably would have heard Sibongle singing one of her first important gigs because the very first year, 1989, Sibongle Kamalo played the violin in the orchestra. She wasn't even really uh, a big-time singer yet. The next year, 1990, she was one of the soloists. And I remember doing this very piece for the first time in the modern era because uh, Prof. Kamalo dug it out of the archives in Samro to perform Plea from Africa. It's a wonderful piece. Now, I've sung it many times yeah. with different choirs, um, and I got to know Spongile quite well, you know, through the Witz connections and Noel, and he used to work with her. So also when we worked on that um, Ushaka, because she... Uh, he was uh, one the, of the soloists. Uh, Professor Kumala was very fond of her voice. He certainly so, was. So uh, he used her as much as he possibly could. Now, when you came to uh, Joburg, apart from singing the Davidson Choir, you also sang in the Witz Choir, I think. After, well, driving out to Davidson every week was quite a, a mission. So um, after a while, uh, we managed to, the Witz Choir had, well, there was like an official Witz Choir, but there were a lot of other universities that were building up black choirs. And I had this kind of vision of, building a choir that could do both sets of repertoires and could read staff notation. And uh, we started up the, uh, well, Witz Choir, and then the other one kind of faded out. So we became the Witz Choir. And I was uh, part of a group that got hold of Dar Darlene Huchenot. Um And uh, she built the choir up and they had their, what they call it the 50th anniversary because they count from when the Witz Choir started. But the actual, her kind of version of the Witz Choir started in the early 90s and um, she's now doing, we went to that concert quite recently, so she's doing quite well with the Witz Choir. Oh, so she's still there? I'm not still in the choir. No, she is there. She is there. Yeah. It's a smallish choir. She keeps it small deliberately. But they've toured overseas, and they do quite a different kind of repertoire. They do African songs, folk songs. They do them very well. She even choreographs them much more than the other choirs. And then she does some other Western songs as well. And here comes the Witz Choir singing Alleluia, Father, by Emmanuel Mlengwa. The Witz Choir singing Alleluia, Father, by Emmanuel Mlengwa. The choice of Marissa Rolnick, Professor Marissa Rolnick, who's my guest in People of Note. And in fact, the universities have set quite a high standard for choirs around the country. If you think of uh, the Cape Town UCT Choir for Africa, Stellenbosch, UJ Choir, 
mm. Pretoria. There are many fantastic choirs. And I see you, you're choosing one from Cape Town also, the UCT Choir for Africa. Yes, I spent a sabbat- I've spent two sabbatical periods in Cape Town at UCT. The first one, which this really corresponds to, was in 1998. And at that time, Lungile Jacob was conducting the UCT Choir for Africa, and it was really amazing. Their soloist at the time was Spongile Mgoma, who is the niece of Spongile Kumalo. And um, they, they really were, they were fantastic, although they were getting what I call a bit lazy in terms of the African choirs, because when they get lazy, they do a lot of folk music instead of working on conducted pieces. But uh, Lungile himself was a very good singer. And uh, when I got there, they just released this album from which this is the first track. There we go. Some uh, enthusiastic applause for the UCT Choir for Africa singing Letiskia the choice of Marissa Rolnick, my guest in People of Note. But now the next two pieces you've chosen are rather different. So let's hear about Caesarea Evora. Caesarea Evora is from Cape Verde. And um, she's just the most amazing. Well, she used to, she's completely unknown. They found her singing in clubs in Cape Verde. And she sings this Portuguese, uh, I forget what the genre is called. Fado. Fado, yes. And... um, she sings barefoot, and she smokes like a chimney. And I once saw her swimming, singing live at, in Benoni at a world music festival. And this, this particular piece is so atmospheric and so beautiful. It's, it's, it says that I think the whole album is the Cafe Atlantico, where she used to sing. And you feel like you're just sitting in some very quiet place having a nice drink and watching the sun go down over the sea. Cesaria Evora singing Flordinia Esperanza, uh, a wonderful song from Cape Verde Islands. Uh, have you been there? No, uh, the nearest I've been is uh, the um, Canary Islands, where I bought a guitar for eight pounds, which I've still got. Have you travelled quite a lot? Yes, that was when I, w- I took a boat to England when I went to go and do my master's. So we stopped at the Canary Islands with those old mail boats. Um, but uh, no, I've never been to Cape Verde. Yeah. But I w- the, the, she had like a like mini orchestra playing with her when she was playing live. Sort of electric cellos, electric violins, grand piano. It was amazing. Yeah. And wh- if you're not doing singing and you're not teaching science do you have any other hobbies and interests well i've been a swimmer for most of my life so i swam for transvaal when i was a schoolgirl, and i went to national championships and i also um now do master swimming which is swimming what is that it's for everybody from the age of 25 up to 105 and it's in five-year age groups and i've held south african records in master swimming uh, and I've gone to world championships twice. Well, what is this 105 story? Well, it's as, as old as you get because it goes in five. Well, the oldest records, they keep world records for all the age groups. And there was someone of 105? The oldest one, I think, the age group is 100 to 105, and someone of 103 has a record on the books. But it's just amazing when you go to the world championships. There's a w- South African woman who lives in England now who's 87, we just had our championships straight after the conference that I went to get the award, and she was there. 
and some events she can swim faster than me. And at she, the age of 87? At the age of 87. She, she's just, un, and I believe that even if I get slower and slower, I still want to carry on because I think it's very important. Good exercise. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you are, listeners. Uh, if you need a challenge, uh, you can join the senior swimmers. What's it called? Masters. Master swimmers. Master swimmers. And in order to swim, of course, you need a lake or a cloud burst or something, <laughs> and that's your next choice. Music by Eric Whitaker. Now, this is a very interesting piece. Let's listen to it. It's called Cloudburst. It's the Salt Lake vocal artists, the composer Eric Whitaker, and the conductor Brady Allred. Um, so, in 2003, I went to uh, University of Western Michigan on a, another sabbatical, and I spent four months there. I had a um, Fulbright Award. And so, while I was there, of course, I had to do two things. I had to find a choir. And I had to find a swimming pool. And um, so the, I, went to the, I went to find out about university choirs there, and they had a whole hierarchy of choirs, the most amazing music department. And they had this really elite choir, which was uh, maybe a bit like your... Um, Chanticleer singers. Chanticleer singers. But um, then the second tier was something called the Collegiate Choir. And... It was all undergraduates and me. And we sang, I sang in about three concerts with that choir uh, during the four months. And uh, this was done at their concert uh, alongside pieces by Bach, Brahms, and a lot of other things. But Eric Whitaker is a modern American composer. And this depicts, I think, a, a thunderstorm, and it's got all sorts of percussion effects and uh, it's very atmospheric, and it's very different from any other choir music I've heard. Yeah, and he writes very interesting music, Eric Whitaker. Well, we've sung some of it here, yeah. uh, and we may do some of it towards the end of the year. Uh, and now I see uh, something completely different. This is an operatic piece uh, with Montserrat Caballé singing. This is the famous Sempre Libera from La Traviata by Verdi. The wonderful voice of Montserrat Caballé singing Sempre Libera from La Traviata by Verdi with the RCA Italian Opera Orchestra under Georges Pretre. And that's a wonderful piece about staying free and in control of your own life, basically, which it sounds as though yours has been. Yeah. The, the reason I chose that piece is because I, it, it came alive for me. There were two things. La Traviata is an opera I really love, and I had... Uh, it, it was at a special time in my life when I heard this, and it was beautiful. But then it was also used in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. And there's Terence Stamp on top of a bus going through the desert in Australia in a huge high-heeled shoe on top, on top of the bus, and this Sempre Libera is playing in the background. Did you see the production when it was here? No, I didn't. No, it was it, a wonderful, I saw the movie. It was a wonderful production. It was just uh, a fantastic sort of liberating experience to go and see it. Yeah. So you missed something there. Well, I just saw the movie, but... Yeah. So there it was. That was Montserrat Caballé. And uh, obviously, is opera a favorite of yours too? Because I see there's another opera choice coming up now. It's become a favorite. Yeah. I think if you asked me when I first joined the Manzini Choir, I wouldn't have known much about opera. It's sort of grown on me through the years. Well, that's good. I liked instrumental music before yes. that. Yeah. Well, this is uh, from The Barber of Seville by Rossini, Una Voce Poco Fa. 
One of our South African stars, Pretty Yende, singing Una Voce Poco Fa from the Barber of Seville by Rossini. Yeah, but uh, I first heard Pretty Yende when she sang with our choir at that concert. But I think she represents a whole generation of opera singers growing up in South Africa, which is just spectacular. I kind of expected it would happen when I came back because if you look at the opera choruses now, they're primarily black with a couple of token white singers, if I could say that. And so many fantastic soloists. I mean, she's just one of many. And so when that album came out, I bought her album. And uh, one thing I was very moved by is they got her to sing in a Mozart Requiem Mass conducted by Sidwam Klongo at Gold Reef City, and they broadcast it on ENCA. And at the end, Pretty Yende, hom- uh, Spongle Kumala was singing the contralto. So Pretty Ende kind of represents somebody who's working overseas and Spongle represents somebody who stayed here. And um, she actually said to the audience how much she respects Spongle and how much she uh, admires her. And it was quite moving when she said that. Yeah. Well, and I'm lucky and you're lucky that most of these people have sung with our choir at one time or another. And it's been quite a an experience over the last 40 years or so for me to have enjoyed working with all these amazing people and with you uh, because we've come a long way together. And your, your final choice is by Beethoven. I can see Beethoven is something of a favorite of yours. You said that at the beginning. Yeah. And this is from the Missa Solemnis, which we've also sung. Uh, you've sung with me in the mm-hmm. choir. Um, and... That's going to be the Kyrie from the Missa Solemnis. Do you want to talk about that? Well, we sang this a couple of years ago with the uh, Berlin uh, Sing Academy from uh, Berlin. <laughs> and uh, uh, actually, I'd selected the recording we did because I thought we did a fantastic job. It was one of the most difficult pieces that I've done. That's for sure. Um, and that includes some of the pieces like Belshazzar's Feast, which I found very difficult as well. But this is difficult for a lot of other reasons, is you just have to keep going and there's places that, uh, and it's just so moving. And most I've liked it since I was a child, but when we sang it, it was just fantastic. That was the opening movement, the Kyrie from the Missa Solemnis by Beethoven, one of the great pieces of all time, such a huge architectural piece. I just uh, love it. It's extremely complicated and very difficult to sing. But we've done it a couple of times and certainly that time with the uh, German choir was a a very special occasion. And it's been very special to spend time with Professor Marissa Rolnick, who is Emeritus Professor of Science Education at Witz and recently uh, given a, a very prestigious research award for research in her chosen field. So we say congratulations to her and thanks for being on the program. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It's a great privilege. And thanks for all that you've meant to so many people over the years by uh, singing in choirs in Swaziland and in Daviton and here. And uh, it's great to have you in my choir and such a distinguished person also. So... Uh, Listeners, that's it for tonight. We've come to the end of People of Note for tonight. 
and I hope you've enjoyed the selection of music made by Marissa. And thanks to Pete for helping us put it all together and to you at home for listening. And I'll be back each weekday night with Full Works and until tomorrow at 8 p.m. from all of us here at Classic 1027, we say a very good night.